This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Um, the, the truth is that outside of church, most of us rarely use that word. Because besides being annoying and pesky, that word just has such negative connotations. And, and unless we're in a religious setting or if we're trying to maybe instruct or correct or put the fear of God into our kids or grandkids, the, the word sin rarely comes up in everyday settings. In fact, imagine how weird it would be if you would get to work late one day and the boss would call you into his or her office and say, do you realize that by getting here late, you cheated and sinned against the company? Or how about if you were pulled over for a traffic stop and the officer said, do you realize you just sinned against the United States of America because you broke the law? Or if you got a letter from the IRS and said, you didn't pay enough taxes, therefore you sinned against the government. We don't like to hear nor use the word sin. Rather, instead of the word sin, we prefer to use the word mistake. I made a mistake. And you might have. But let me read you the definition of a mistake. According to the dictionary, a mistake is an error in action, calculation, opinion, or judgment caused by poor reasoning. So a mistake is is basically... Um, I wasn't paying attention, or it just slipped my mind, or I was trying to do too many things at once, or it just fell out of my hand. And, and so with a mistake, it, it, it's not too hard to say, oh, my bad, my mistake. And, and, and sometimes to make our seal, our, ourselves feel better, we, we will add, nobody's perfect. Okay, so if a mistake is a lapse in judgment or an error in reasoning or a moment of not paying attention, what is a sin? Well, a a sin is a willful transgression of a divine law. Or or in plain English, sin is something bad that we do on purpose and we know it goes against God's law. You know, the book of James says to him who knows to do good and doesn't do it to him, it is sin. Now, To fix up a mistake, most of the time, even though occasionally there are mistakes with with tragic consequences, but most of the time, a mistake can be fixed up with a simple apology. You know, I'm sorry, I I didn't make my rent payment on time. Here it is, I'll do better next month. Or, I'm sorry, honey, you did burn the beans, but I shouldn't have referred to them as a burnt sacrifice. Or or when I said that my mama's cooking was way better than yours, I shouldn't have said that. That's not true. Or, or, I'm sorry, officer, I wasn't paying attention to my speed, which the truth is you probably were. You just thought you could get by with it. But anyway, that that mistake can be taken care of by paying your fine, and, you know, the insurance is going to go up and pay that increase in in insurance. Um, a, A mistake Again, there are exceptions, but most of the time, a mistake can be fixed rather easily with a fine or an apology. But when it comes to a sin, there needs to be more than just a quick apology or a late fee tacked onto the rent or leaving 10 minutes earlier so you can get to work on time. Fixing a sin requires forgiveness. 
Because, and, and, and this is where this lesson intersects with our series. This is uh, lesson number four, I think, is what it is in our series, dealing with the distortions of Satan in our society. But if everything we do wrong can kind of be dumbed down to where it's just a mistake, you know, an error in calculation, then that puts, that puts our eternity in jeopardy. Do you know why? Because one of the non-negotiables of being saved is that we have to recognize we're sinners. And we will never be in a position to receive salvation until we recognize that our wrong was way more than a mistake. And and our wrong can't be fixed by just a promise to do better. The only way to fix a sin is to admit that you sinned and then ask for and receive forgiveness. And without that forgiveness... There's no salvation. Without salvation, there's no eternal life. Without eternal life, there is no heaven. So again, where this intersects with our series is that we live in a culture that doesn't want to admit sin. We want to lump everything bad that we've done into the category of a mistake. But the problem is that deep down inside, we know better. Now, I may be able to convince you that what I did was a mistake. But the truth is when the lights are off, when, when the music's off, when the television's off, you know, I know, we know that what we did wasn't just a lapse in judgment. We did it on purpose. We just didn't think we would get caught. Now, not only did we do it on purpose, which makes it a sin, but we've probably done it before. And not only have we done it before, we were probably hoping we could do it again. And there's something else that we need to factor in. Mistakes are generally just on the outside. But what about all that internal stuff and, you know, the bad stuff that you'd love to do, but you don't dare do it because you might get caught, but you sure think about it a lot. What about that jealousy? You smile and said, I'm so glad for your promotion, but you think in your heart, I hate her. What about when you applauded that person because... He got the award and you told him congratulations, but you thought in your heart, he doesn't deserve it. I hate him too. What what do you call that? That's not an accidental mistake. Frankly, that's just some of the gross stuff that's inside many of us. You know, I can't see it in you. You can't see it in me. But the thing is, God can see it because it's there. Now, if that isn't enough to kind of get you stirred up and make you wish that you'd have called in sick today, Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 comes along and and stirs things up even more. And the reason Jesus needed to do this is because, because he came into an environment where they sort of dumbed down God's law and they were saying, you know, as long as you keep the outside rules, as long as you keep the traditions, it's all good and you'll go to heaven for that. But Jesus came along and pushed the bar up higher than just following the rules. He said, you're worse than you thought you were. You thought you were good because you kept the commandments? You're not good, not even close. You you thought you were righteous because you kept all of the church traditions? Ha, ha, nice joke. You thought you made just a little mistake? Well, sorry, but what you did was a horrible sin. So today we will go to a very famous sermon of Jesus called the Sermon on the Mount. He preached this right near the beginning of his ministry. And if I would have been Jesus, I would have probably saved this sermon for last because this sermon had the potential of running off the crowd. Probably like today's sermon. But here's what Jesus said. 
Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, Jesus was saying, just in case you thought that I came to dumb down some of the Old Testament laws and, and make it a lot easier to go to heaven, newsflash, I've not come to water anything down. I've come to fulfill all that was taught in the Old Testament. Now, we'll come back to verse 18, but let's jump down to verse 19. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So again, Jesus was saying, what I'm about to say in no way annuls what you've been taught for the past several hundred years in the law. I'm not lowering the standard. I'm not trying to make it easy so that everybody can go to heaven. No, I'm going to raise the standard. Verse 20, for I tell you that Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, let me explain this. Jesus was preaching this message on a hill overlooking the beautiful Sea of Galilee. And um, there was a huge crowd listening to him. But, but off to one side, hanging by their, themselves, was, was a group of... Uh, of uh, religious leaders called Pharisees, and, and they were dressed a little differently, and some of them had these little curly cues coming down from their sideburns, and uh, they had on special robes, and sometimes they even had these little, uh, you know, phylacteries, boxes that they would put on their wrist, or sometimes put around their forehead, and, and so they were off hanging by themselves, and um, their goal was to follow every rule, every law, every commandment, every tradition. In fact, they put so much emphasis on this rule-keeping that they, have you ever heard of this word, quarantined? They, they self-quarantined from the crowd to keep from being contaminated, not by a disease, but by their evil. But anyway, as Jesus is teaching, he says, okay, let, let me tell you how righteous and good you have to be to make it to heaven. And, and he pointed over there to those holier-than-thou, self-quarantining Pharisees and, and, and said, crowd, see those guys over there? They're not mixing with anybody. You know, we all know that they had the reputation of being the most righteous people around, and everybody said, yeah, we, we know that. There are religious leaders. They keep all of the rules and the laws and the traditions. But Jesus said, I have to tell you that in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, your righteousness must surpass their righteousness. And the crowd had to go, oh. because for the average person, it was game over. Because these religious guys, they didn't have full-time jobs like everybody else. And so their entire day was spent studying and, and keeping every aspect of the law and keeping the traditions and, and following all of the types of ceremonial cleansings that they had to do that the law talked about. And, and so for the common person, it was like, I don't have enough time to do that. I'm a shepherd. You know, I'm elbow deep in stuff and I'm cleaning out stalls and I'm a carpenter, and I've got to build things to take care of my family. Or I'm a fisherman, I've got to clean fish. Or I've got to mend the nets that get torn. So the common person thought, hey, if my righteousness has to surpass their righteousness over there to get into the kingdom of heaven, I guess I ain't going to heaven. 
because I don't have enough time to do everything that they do that makes them righteous. Well, while Jesus is, is letting that settle over them, he goes on and says something that is super interesting if you dig a little bit below the surface. In verse 18, it says, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear. Now, pay attention to this next phrase. Not the smallest letter, nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Now, for those of you who grew up in church, many of you did, you might better remember that phrase, you know, smallest letter and the least stroke of a pen in the King James Version, because it says it this way, not one jot or tittle shall disappear until everything is fulfilled. How many of you remember the jot and the tittle? Anybody? You were raised with the jot and the tittle. Do you even know what that means? Your blank look says no. The jot is the 10th letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And even though the New Testament was written in Greek, people of that day understood what a Hebrew jot was. And, and uh, let me just show you what a jot is. This right here is a jot. Looks like an apostrophe. And, and actually, it was small. You had kind of the where you would write the letters, and this would be written up above. It's just a small little letter. Again, the 10th the, the, the letter in, in the Hebrew alphabet. Now, a tittle is even smaller than the jot. And these are two separate Hebrew letters. Now, most of us looking on, we would think, oh, yeah, that's just two different writers. It's the same letter. We don't understand that. And, uh, you know, you look at two, three, four, or five different handwriting, some of the letters will look just slightly, have a slight variation. But these are two separate letters. Here is the tittle. This right there, that little extension that takes it beyond there, that little tiny extension is called the tittle. And that right there distinguished and made those two strokes of the pen different letters of the alphabet. And, and so Jesus was saying, hey, I, I, I haven't come to do away with any part of the law. In fact, no jot nor tittle of the law will be ignored. I'm not doing away with anything. Rather, I'm raising the bar. Well, Jesus continues on and gives some specific examples of how he's raising the standard. And in verse 21, it says, You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. And, and you know, the crowd right then, they're thinking, yeah, I, I, I remember the commandment. I've never murdered anyone. And so, amen, teacher. I'm good there. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Of course, if you're a murderer, you're going to go down. You're, you need to be judged. But, but, but then Jesus stuns them with this next statement. And in a sense, it's like he took a stick and whacked the hornet's nest. Now, I don't know if you've ever done that, but I wouldn't recommend it. Um, I, I did come close one time. Uh, back a few years ago, there was a kind of a low-lying, uh, low-hanging hornet's nest. And uh, so Ryan, and Hubbard, Ryan Hubbard and I, we thought that we would uh, do something really cool. And it was in the fall, you know, where they're supposed to freeze out. And, and when the frost comes, they're gone. And you can get the hornet's nest and uh, put it in your living room or wherever. And so we, we thought that we had waited long enough to where they would be dead. We went out there one night just in case, and it was cold. And, 
and uh, had, had a stepladder. We were trying to get that limb off with the hornet's nest. Those hornets weren't dead. And they came after us. And, and I tell you what, I could have outrun Usain Bolt that night because <laughs> I was getting away from, from those, those hornets. But, but anyway, it's like Jesus came with a stick and he whacked the hornet's nest. And he goes on and, and he says this. I tell you that anyone who is angry, so you know what, do not murder, they're going to be subject to, uh, to, to judgment, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Uh, again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin, but anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. And, and the people had to say, wait a minute, teacher, time out. I, I must have misunderstood you. Are you equating murder with just calling someone a fool because you're angry with him? Uh, and Jesus says, yeah, the bar's higher than you thought. Well, they're, they're still trying to process that. Jesus gives another example. And, and what he's doing is he's leveling the playing field, you know, where those righteous people over there that are hanging by themselves they don't seem quite as righteous anymore. Verse 27, you've heard it said, uh, you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. And, and they're back on board and saying, amen. Preach it, Jesus. We agree. We're not adulterers. But he again whacks the hornet's nest. Verse 28 says, but I tell you, anyone, you listening? Anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And, and Scripture doesn't say this, but kind of reading between the lines, I, I have a feeling that about that time, some of the people came unglued and they stood up and started to walk out. Maybe one man spouts off and says, Jesus, you've just called all of us men. Well, well maybe not me personally, because I'm the exception, but I, I'm sure all of my friends have lusted. And so because of that, you've just called them adulterers. Do, do you realize, Jesus, you just condemned all men, again, except for me? Who can be that righteous? Jesus, who can live his whole life as a man and never look at a woman lustfully? I, I mean, if that's the standard, God's going to be in heaven all by himself because nobody's that good. Well, Jesus isn't done yet. And he picks up that stick and he whacks the hornet's nest again. Verse 31 says, it's been said, anyone, are you ready for this? Anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. Now, let me explain this. Back in the early days of the Old Testament, before Moses came along, women had absolutely no rights. And so a man could say to his wife for almost any reason, woman, I divorce you. You know, you made my eggs over easy instead of over medium, I divorce you. You know, you snored too much last night, I divorce you. Or you put on too much weight, I divorce you. Well, when Moses came along, he said, we've we got to bring some order to this chaos. He said, God from the beginning instituted marriage as a permanent relationship, and that's God's plan. But, 
But, but since you've hardened your heart and you aren't following God's ideal for marriage, he said, if you're going to divorce, if you're going to split up families, he said, you at least need to have a legitimate reason and get a certificate of divorce. But don't kick your wife out just because she didn't fix your eggs right this morning. And with that certificate of divorce, the poor lady could move on and she would have in her hand, you know, hopefully a document that would give a more legitimate reason than, well, you know, Frank, my ex just didn't like the way I made his coffee. And, and so Jesus refers to that. And he says, Moses brought a, a little bit of order to this matter and required a divorce certificate. But Jesus raises the standard even higher. So initially there was chaos. Moses brought a little bit of order. Jesus raises the standard even higher than Moses. And in verse 32, he says, but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress. And, and the people probably sucked in their breath again, and they, they shook their heads and maybe clenched their teeth and their fist. And... But Jesus wasn't finished yet. He goes on and says, and anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Now, again, I don't know, but I wonder if, if people said, but Jesus, this is a hard teaching. Uh, but before considering the, uh, them adulterers, Jesus, don't you think that you ought to at least let them tell their story? And maybe there wasn't marital unfaithfulness, but there was a legitimate reason, probable cause. And can you make such a blanket statement and, and say that the only legitimate reason for divorce is marital unfaithfulness? Faithfulness, and, and if whoever marries that divorcee commits adultery? Is that what you're saying? And maybe Jesus said, Keep your pen out. I'm not finished yet. Because I'm going to whack the hornet's nest one more time. And in verse 43, he said, you, you've heard it. It was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, which made sense to them. You know, love those that are good to you and don't give the time of day to your enemy. But, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And this had to be the tipping point. Wait a minute, Jesus. Time out again. I mean, I pray for my family, and, and I occasionally pray for someone in the church that's sick, but honestly, I really don't pray for my neighbors much, especially that neighbor across the street that has a dog that comes over to my yard to do his thing. And no way do I pray for that neighbor three doors down that has so much junk in his yard, and I'm sure he's on drugs, and... Are, are, are you telling me to pray for them and pray for that person that really let me have it on Facebook the other day for my stance on vaccines or, or for my political stance? I'm supposed to pray for them? Jesus, the only thing I want to do is serve them a knuckle sandwich. But here you are telling me that to pray for my enemies and pray for the people who persecute me is the standard of righteousness that I have to have to make it to heaven? And I can imagine that people are furious. And maybe one of the outspoken leaders says, okay, Jesus, let me just kind of summarize back to you what you've just said. What you're telling me is I'm a murderer because I've been angry. And I'm an adulterer because I've had lustful thoughts. And I'm an adulteress because I've been divorced when it wasn't even my fault. And you just ended up by telling me that I need to love and pray for those that are not nice to me. Teacher, if that's what you're saying, 
I'll never be able to please God, nor will anybody else. That means that there's nobody righteous but God. And I think Jesus smiles at that moment and said, you got it. That's my exact point. There is none righteous but God. And maybe Jesus said, you know, you came to this sermon here on this grassy slope overlooking the Sea of Galilee thinking you were just mistakers who needed to do better. But Jesus said, I'm here to tell you, you are full-blown sinners. And if you depend on your own righteousness, you are doomed for hell. Now, here's the amazing thing throughout the Gospels. The people who got this and and realized they were bad sinners, they flocked to hear Jesus. They loved him. You know, the tax gatherers, the prostitutes, the men and women who were condemned by society as being outright sinners, they loved to be with Jesus because Jesus had these two messages. Number one, you're a sinner that's in trouble. Message number two, God loves sinners that has sent a Savior on their behalf. Message number one, you're hopelessly lost. Message number two, God sent me to find you. And that message is the same for us today. Until you, and when I say you, it's me, we, until we fully embrace the fact that we're sinners, we won't be able to embrace the fact that we need a Savior. Most of you have heard this story. One day, a bunch of legalistic and judgmental men dragged a lady in and threw her down in front of Jesus and said, Jesus, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. And of course, the question that we've always had for years is, what about the man? Takes two. Where's the man? That culture allowed him to get off scot-free. But they said, Master, we've heard what you've been saying about the law. We're not to dumb down the law. And and the law says she has to die. So what's your suggestion, Jesus? And of course, they were trying to trap him. Here's what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, well, hold on. (laughs) Wait, let's be careful here. You know, she's been in a really difficult environment. I mean, the man she's married to is such a loser, and it's well known that his morals are about like the neighborhood tomcat, and not to mention that this, poor, that this man hit this poor lady and abuses her. And I mean, come on, cut this lady some slack. We can't blame her for running around. You know, he deserves it. Jesus didn't say that. Here's what he did say. You're right. She did sin. You're right. The law says she deserves to die. And I can imagine at that point they started picking up stones, getting ready to throw them at her. But then Jesus said this. Everybody in the crowd, if you have not sinned in your life, on the count of three, I'm going to give you the green light to go ahead and pitch those stones at her. But but Jesus said this. Everyone in the crowd, If you've sinned even one time, that disqualifies you from throwing any rocks. So are you ready? One, two, three. And the Bible says that no one threw a rock. And one by one, everyone in the crowd dispersed. And then Jesus says this. This is so emotional to me. In John chapter 8, verse 10, it says, Jesus straightened up and asked her woman, and remember this woman caught in the act of adultery deserved to die, and the law said, law said so. He looked her in the eye, and he said, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she looks around, and 
She says, no one, sir. And then Jesus, the Son of God, looks her right in the eye just like he would look you in the eye if you were ever to come to the point of embracing your sinfulness. He said, then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Here's, I think, what Jesus was saying. He was saying, I'm not going to water down your sin to make you feel better. You know, it wasn't a mistake. It wasn't a moment of indiscretion. It was sin. But ma'am, I'm not going to condemn you for it because now that you know you're a sinner, the good news is you are now a candidate to receive forgiveness and be set free. On another occasion, Jesus told three stories that we're familiar with. And the the most famous one of the three is called the prodigal son. And and the son thinks in his mind, and, and he doesn't say this out loud, but he's probably thinking this, Dad, I wish you would die because at death I could get my inheritance. One day he had had enough, and he said, Dad, I just can't stay here anymore under your rules. I, I'm going to leave, and I'd like my part of the inheritance. And the, his dad obliged, gave him his portion of the estate. Son went to the city, blew it on wild women and the party lifestyle. And he had the time of his life for several weeks or months, or we don't know how long. But when all of his money was gone, he found himself in a pig pen eating pig slop. And this is what he realized. You know what? My father's servants have it way better than I do. I need to humble myself and go back home and ask Dad if he would take me back. Not as a son. I know I don't deserve that anymore, but just as a hired hand. At least I would have food and a roof over my head. And so he comes up with a speech and begins to rehearse it. Have you ever come up with a speech that you've rehearsed over and over? And I want you to listen to his speech because Jesus is telling this story so we understand how God views sinners who are coming to him. Luke chapter 15, verse 21. The son said to him, Father, I have, what's the word? Sinned. Sinned. He didn't say, I'm back, old man. You know, things didn't go too well for me. I, I, I made some mistakes, and I was young and stupid, but nobody's perfect. Can we just move on? No, he said, Father, I have sinned against heaven against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And he was basically saying, Dad, I'm on my knees pleading for mercy because I'm a sinner. Do you realize that mistakers never humble themselves before God? And as long as they think it's a mistake, they don't need God. They don't need church. They they make all kinds of excuses. You know, God isn't limited to a building and, and he isn't, but mistakers never come to the point of recognizing they're bad people in need of a savior. They always want to save face and and put on a front and make people think that they're good and wonderful and have it all together. But the problem is that with that attitude is that God can't do anything with them. He can't save them until they admit what everybody else already knows. (laughs) You know, we all know you're a mess. You all know that I'm a mess. And when we finally say, God... I struggle with jealousy. God, I've had lustful thoughts. God, there are habits and addictions I'm ashamed of. God, my attitude has really been bad. And I've carried unforgiveness in my heart. I'm I'm bitter towards so-and-so because what they said about me on Facebook. When, When we finally say, God, I'm not a good person. I'm not just a little mistake, or rather, I'm a full-blown sinner. And when we finally admit what everyone else already knows about us, listen to what God says in that situation. 
But the father said to his servants, quick. Why, why quick? You know, the older brother said, let's let him grovel a little bit. I mean, daddy spent half of your money and nothing flat. You took a lifetime to accumulate. Sh- shouldn't we let him, let's put him in timeout. Let, let's put him on probation. Uh, but the father said, quick. Why? Because he's already recognized he's a sinner. We don't need to wait. Bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger. Why the ring? That's reestablishing him to sonship. Uh, Put sandals on his feet. Why sandals? Well, he's not a servant. Bring the fattened calf and, and, and kill it and let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Here's what I want to get across. The sooner you and I embrace our sinfulness, the sooner you and I are candidates for God's grace. The Apostle Paul, years later, said it this way in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You may think you're good, but you're not. Now, you may not be as bad as some other people, but you're not nearly, we're not nearly as good as God needs us to be. So all have sinned, and, and because we've sinned, you would think that the next verse would say, you sin, God is mad. Here's the next verse, verse 24. All have sinned, fall short of the glory of God, and are justified freely. This is huge. As long as I'm making mistakes, I can apologize and pay the fine and try to do better. But we can't fix our sin. So here's the great news. The great news is that you owed so much for your sin that you couldn't pay it. So God had somebody else pay it. Isn't that awesome news? Because it says, by his grace, it took place through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. That's just a fancy way of saying, while we were mistakers and why we kept trying to do better and kept trying to break that addiction and kept trying to convince everyone that we aren't so bad through God's conviction we finally came to the realization that we are more than mistakers there's nothing righteous about us we are full-blown sinners and we don't need a motivational speaker and a cheerleader to say you can do this you've got this you can do whatever you put your mind to no we need a savior so here's my question Where are you in this journey? Are you kind of trying to just justify all of your bad attitudes and your habits and addictions and lust and unforgiveness? Saying, yeah, I'm certainly not not perfect. I've, I've made mistakes. If that's the way you're looking at things, would you let Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5 help you to understand that we, we're worse, way worse than mistakers. We're sinners. And until we admit how bad we are, we will never be a candidate for eternal life. You see, we don't need to just turn over a new leaf. We need to receive a new life. We don't need just a reboot and a restart. We need a complete new operating system. So as we spend a couple of moments in reflection, 
could you just let go of the justifications of, and the excuses? And You know, Jesus would tell you, you're not nearly as good as you think you are, but he would also tell you, he loves you just as you are. And he offers forgiveness for your sins. So this morning, I guess this afternoon now, we went into overtime today. You got your money's worth today, hopefully. (laughs) But could we just be transparent before the Lord and quit acting like we're so good and, you know, yeah, we made a mistake and sorry. Could we just cut the excuses, cut the justification and say, God, I'm a sinner. What I've done is a mistake. It's a sin. And say, God... I come to you and I ask you to forgive me. That's the only way to take care of my sin. So before we pray, would you just bow your heads? Nobody looking around. Is there somebody that would say, Joe, God has really spoken to my heart today. Would you pray for me? Don't come back and embarrass me. Don't do any of that. Thank you. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. Is there somebody else? Pray for me, Joe. God has really, thank you. I see your hand. Your hand and your hand, your hand, your hand. Would you look at me just a second? Would you just respond the way that you feel in your heart you want to respond right now? And the way that you know God wants you to respond? I, I, I know what happens is there's that, there's that battle going on because we don't, we want to save face. And, and God says, that's going to end you up in hell (laughs) would you just do what you need to do today I'm going to ask you to stand and you know here at this church we we invite you to come forward and pray we never ask you to confess your sins to us you just confess them to Jesus I'm not saying that's the only place you can find the Lord you could probably do it back there standing where you are unless you're full of pride and then God wants to break your pride I don't know Uh, But maybe there's someone here that would like to just come forward and say, oh, God has spoken to me and I'm not too proud to come forward and I just want God to do something in my heart and life. Is there somebody that would like to just lead the way? And Somebody? Maybe there are some church people here that you're good people, but you just sense that maybe God is wanting to do something special and bring revival and you can come and just stand here or if you want to kneel here and would you just let the Holy Spirit work today and do a work in our lives and anybody else again you can stand or kneel whatever position you're comfortable with and there's somebody else could we have just a couple of ladies that would gather around this one here on this side Anybody else, you want to come and just pray, and maybe you've sensed just a, a coolness in your spirit to where you need God, you need that refreshing touch. And anybody else, let's just, uh, I know we've gone late today, but we'll be out of here soon. These are eternal things that we're dealing with, and anybody else, you want to come and you want to seek Jesus today, and... Anybody else? I'd like for some of the church people to just come. You know, if you're perfect with God, I'd like to just invite you to come and maybe 
let's just together have a closing prayer and ask, ask God to do something amazing. Come on, church people. Lord, we want to thank you for your word. Your, your word is so amazing. And God, while we were still sinners, miserable sinners, lost sinners, sinners that were hopeless, thank you that you provided a way of escape for us. And so, Lord, we don't come to you as mistakers. We come to you as sinners. Lord, we don't come as people that are trying to justify an excuse, but, Lord, we just come without an excuse. And, Lord, uh, we're, we're people that need your grace and mercy. And so, God, I pray right now for, for those that are praying for themselves. And, <clears throat> Lord, there are those that raise their hands that maybe didn't have the courage to come, but they're taking care of business right there. I pray that, Lord, wherever they are, wherever they're standing, wherever they're sitting, wherever they're kneeling, Lord, that you would do something amazing in our hearts and in our lives. Father, that you would cleanse us of our sin and that you would forgive us, Lord, that you would give us new life. God, thank you for being so patient with us. and Lord, thank you that even though you don't dumb down sin, yet you look us in the eye and you say, I don't condemn you, but go leave your life of sin. So, Lord, I pray that right now that there would be a new start and God, that this would be the beginning in our own lives of just not being rehabilitated, but Father, being redeemed. So God, I just pray right now that, that you would come upon us as a congregation, as a church, and that you would help us to experience the wonderful, the wonderful, the marvelous grace of our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that your word would be powerful in our lives this week and Lord, where I fail today, I pray that the Holy Spirit would make up the difference this week, that he would just apply it to our hearts. Thank you again, Lord. Uh, I pray that you would just take away the attacks of the devil, because the devil may, as soon as we're out of here, he will make us maybe misinterpret things that were said today and, and be upset. But I pray, Lord, that we would just not give place to the devil, that the Holy Spirit would have full access to us. So God, thank you again for your presence. Thank you for this moment that you've allowed us to have. We pray this in Jesus' name. And before, just heads bowed, eyes closed. Is there anybody here that would just say, Pastor, I prayed, I believe God has helped me, has taken care of my issue. I've consecrated it, given it to him. Is there anybody that would just lift a hand and say, don't come back, don't mention my name, but just rejoice with me. Thank you, I see your hand. Is there anybody else? I Thank you, I see your hand. I see your hand and yours and, and yours and hands all around. God, we thank you for these who have made new commitments to you. And I pray that you would just solidify those commitments. Let us walk with you in your grace and in your mercy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In Jesus name. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you, and if any of you maybe want to talk with a staff member, feel free to call the office. We'd love to talk with you and counsel with you. Go with God. You're dismissed.
You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.